Hello, uh, followers and patrons of uh, Diplomacy Direct. Uh, as cliche it sounds, uh, it's indeed a truth that when elephants fight, the grass suffers. Uh, in the wars of state or ideologies or political conflicts, it's the common population that suffers. Today, we are going to focus on a crisis in the backdrop of all that is on the forefront and covered uh, by the media, but seldom gets the needed attention with the magnitude. I'm talking about the global refugee crisis. Uh, the number of refugees and internally displaced have doubled world over to 80 million uh, as compared to in the past. Uh, and this has increased in the past decade. Understand 50% of them are children. One in every 97 people in the world is now forcibly displaced and analysts say that this may just accelerate. Amongst which are the nationals from uh, Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Myanmar, uh, the Rohingyas, uh, Congo, uh, Central Sahel, uh, that is a region uh, from Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso, uh, Somalia, Central African Republic, uh, Burundi, uh, Iraq, Ethiopia, Yemen, Palestine, etc. Facing various issues from their homeland, ranging from civil war, terrorism, genocide, uh, religious or ethnic cleansing, inflation due to corruption, climate change, etc., etc. These crises are followed or fueled by other issues and vulnerabilities lurking in the disguise that are anti-social elements entering into the asylum-giving nations with the hordes of refugees uh, with intention of terrorism or unrest. This makes the screening and acceptance process with the accepting nations a long and cumbersome venture, uh, leaving the already despaired lot in transit, uh, susceptible to falling prey to unfair labor, sexual exploitation, and other human rights violations, uh, physical abuse, uh, other atrocities, so on and so forth, right? Uh, in addition to that, there are climatic challenges and health insecurities. And to top it all, in these pandemic times, uh, the uh, infection risks have created a severe humanitarian crisis. Water plight. Uh, hi, I am Vipul Tamane, Editor-in-Chief at Diplomacy Direct. And to talk with us about this global issue and many related ancillary issues as the ticking time bomb today, uh, we have uh, Lieutenant General uh, Anil Malik, a regal cavalryman who has uh, served the nation for almost four decades in varied staff uh, assignments, especially in peacekeeping operational areas. Uh, he commanded the 8th Light uh, Cavalry as a colonel of the regiment, have commanded an armored brigade, uh, an armored division as a part of uh, a strike armored corp. Uh, has served in uh, counterinsurgency operations as a general staff intelligence officer uh, in a mountain brigade at the high altitude LSE, has uh, served as a director of uh, security affairs at the Ministry of External Affairs, especially overseeing the defense uh, cooperation with Eurasian countries. Uh, he has served in uh, instructional capacities at Staff College Wellington, Commandant Staff College at Zambia and Senior Directing Staff at 
National Defense College. Uh, his last appointment, uh, though, before uh, superannuation, uh, was uh, Director uh, General Discipline, Ceremonials, and Welfare, which makes his perspective to be the best of strategic and empathetic value. Uh, welcome, uh, General Malik. A pleasure to have you on Diplomacy Direct. Thank you, Vipul. Thank you for uh, firstly giving the opportunity to share my views and think. Uh, for me, the subject uh, is of deep concern, mm -hmm. not only from the geopolitical uh, environment that is uh, after today, not only from the fact that uh, it's a time bomb, bomb which is ticking, but also from the humanitarian point of view. Absolutely. Um, it's a matter of great concern. So it's a pleasure to be here with you this evening. Thank you very much, sir. The, the pleasure is all on our side. Uh, so getting right to it, uh, the issues that these refugees face from wherever they are displaced and wherever they land, uh, they are facing these vulnerabilities. What role does the governments of the asylum-giving countries got to play and what kind of acceptance reforms are warranted from rehabilitation and uh, human rights perspective and how do organizations like UNHCR or Amnesty International support and guide the governments in these efforts uh, basically under the guidance of uh, uh, United Nations Refugee Convention of uh, 1967 over to you sir well uh, to start with I would like to emphasize that uh, the 1951 UN Convention on Refugees and uh, which formed the backdrop based on the resultant effects of the ninth, of Second World War, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but between 1951 and as the years went by, you realized that uh, there were much more greater dimensions that had taken place. Mm -hmm. uh, the refugees of their, that era uh, were still in an acceptable mode because uh, they belong to countries which has integrated the system. But as the years went by, you realized that the scope need to be further wide, wide and that's why the 1967 protocol gave an open-ended uh, era. It also extended the geographical reach. It also made sure that uh, areas of concern, which uh, initially were restricted, had further widened and given it the complete emphasis. And that's why the 1967 protocol, in fact, those countries uh, which did not initially um, sign the UN Convention 951, a lot of them ratified the protocol, which also meant that uh, whatever was there in the uh, 51 convention automatically became encompassed. And, those, and the United States is one such example, which had not originally, uh, is not an original signatory. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about India later, but uh, mm -hmm. for the time being, that being the backdrop, you realize that we had created an agency which could take an international view, mm -hmm. could understand where the maximum pain areas were. Mm -hmm. They could share their views with the countries involved mm -hmm. as also make the governments understand that while the convention very well, but there were your own concerns, 
Every mm-hmm. country has their own concerns, mm-hmm. right? The concerns could range from, I want to help. I am mm-hmm. a good human being. I am mm-hmm. a country which has a soft corner for people who are refugees, displaced individuals, as well as the mass influx which takes place. And we are going through that era today. Right. So uh, there is always an economic concern attached to it. I would, I would, I would love to bring in everybody into my country, but does my own wherewithal, my own economic conditions, do they give us, give me that strength and that latitude? In in a lot of countries, space itself may be become a constraint. Then obviously there are going to be political overtones, there are going to be religious uh, overtones, um, this xenophobia. Is a big, it becomes a big concern in countries because as we have grown over the years, past Second World War, we realized that uh, we, we are gradually becoming um, very much uh, sort of divided on issues of religion. Absolutely. Yeah. And without getting into specifics, but we all understand that uh, a major concern today, and like you brought out in your introduction, terrorism has become a major concern. So ultimately it all boils down to national security. So even if the government of a particular country wants to participate, wants to go out of its way, but the internal fears and paramount being national security comes into play. Now that is where the international bodies have a major role to play. Mm -hmm. They assist these governments in understanding that the people who are crossing over are not necessarily terrorists. Mm-hmm. They, they are not necessarily people who are going to come and create problems in their country. Mm-hmm. We've also got to understand, and these governments, some of them do understand, the rest have to be explained, that uh, to put it in Hindi, ye khud bichare kismat ke mare hai. Where is the question of their getting involved in terrorist activities? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Now that is the backdrop. But in ground reality, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Because such opportunities, when mass exoduses take place, mm-hmm. there are bound to be criminal elements. There are bound to be elements who, though they have this been displaced from their own country would still like to continue their fight against uh, the parent country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And two, because I think the religious divide, there may be people who enter your country in the garb of uh, being innocent and uh, oppressed, but actually maybe cause, trying to cause trouble. Or they may be in touch with the inter- other agencies or other organizations which are creating problems. Correct. So now these are the kind of concerns any government will have. Correct. And if those are the concerns, then there is obviously going to be a reluctance. Correct. So while uh, it's very easy when five people cross over, uh, but there there will be cases where thousands, and we we are well aware of the figures 
-hmm. that uh, people have been transmitting in billions have been getting crossing over. And in those millions, there are bound to be these other elements. So national security becomes a big concern. Yes. Number two, the division of resources. Mm -hmm. I have I, I have a economy or I have a uh, kitty of a hundred dollars, for example. Right. Now I, I need to take care of my people. There are people right. who are facing starvation. I need there are people who are facing uh, water problems, uh, associated natural calamities uh, problems are there. There are problems within my own country, right? Now how, uh, so my concern is how do I take out a share of that money and give, spend it on you? And how do I justify it to my people who are starving? So with these kind of concerns, there, there, there is reluctance. Mm -hmm. But then let me assure you that uh, majority of the countries who are the signatories to the convention have taken it upon themselves right and they and i would say with a lot of pride that a country like india which is not even a signatory to these uh, things for reasons mm -hmm. which can be discussed later uh, yet our record on rehabilitating these mig migrants we may not have given them a refugee status as required mm -hmm. by the convention. Mm -hmm. But then the kind of care we have taken them and example starting with the, the 1959 exodus from Tibet, right? You, mm -hmm. you we know today that uh, nobody feels that the Tibetans are not part of this country or that it is not our responsibility. Absolutely. So Absolutely. That, 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 that is a aspect which been handled so brilliantly by these governments yes wherever uh, of course and if you are. look at if you look at dharmasala the cultural inclusion is so homogenous that you know like you rightly said we don't we don't feel that they are outsiders matter of fact you know they are among one of us uh not only maklod ganj but uh, i i'm based in delhi so i know that uh, in north delhi there is this um, place where uh, we, we went a lot to eat Tibetan food, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't mm -hmm. even feel that you're in a different country, right? right next to the um, ISBD bus uh, area. So uh, they've been well absorbed into the system mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there was a will and a willingness and a concern for them. But this doesn't always happen, right? We've, we've had, uh, and now we, we have the current uh, issue of the Rohingyas, right? Uh, where the major concern is national security. Uh -huh. So there's a reluctance. Though the government, in this particular situation, and not only for the Rohingyas, uh, in fact, the government of India has taken on itself on the Tibetans and the Sri Lankans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, a lot of assistance, support is being taken from the UNHCR, mm -hmm. um, where it comes to Afghanistan or the Chakmas or the people who are coming in from other areas. Because we may not, we don't have a system in place to identify that who is a person who can be harmful. To. Absolutely. Right. So we are taking expertise. So, so these organizations, which we mentioned, UNHCR, Amnesty International, and there are a whole lot of these uh, international NGOs, some Indian uh, organization also in, who fully assist the government in making that idea. And there are a number of cases 
Uh, yeah, and there are these frameworks that these organizations come with that they have implemented as a templatized yes. implementation in these other countries. But our government, where it faces, is the budget dilution, as you rightly put forward, and also the resettlement initiatives are for sharing the risks. That means supporting the stability of the allies or the partners struggling to host the large number of migrants. Absolutely. And let me tell you that if they did not perform the way they were expected to, even a mm -hmm. country which is a signatory may just decide to, all it needs is to give an application that I do not want to be part of this convention anymore. Absolutely. So, so these organizations have to be very cautious in how they support the government stand. Yeah. Yes, there, there will always be differences of opinion. There will always be, uh, uh, they may not understand your concern and the government may not understand their concerns. But these are all resolvable issues. And that's why there is a lot of uh, synchronization that has taken place mm -hmm. across the globe. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, we know that in the United States, uh, the president, after getting approvals of the Congress, fixes a quota every year of the number of people who are going to be given a refugee status. I think mm -hmm. now this year is about uh, 125,000 uh, is the figure for this year, which they for to 1922 is going to be increased double perhaps but then even a country like uh, the us with its resources with its um, and then they have also prioritized you know right. the the translators the uh, helpers to the army you know and everything and then when that quota gets so th there is a lot of uh, templatization in that also. Sir, a quick question before we move to the national uh, security crisis part of our conversation. With almost two-thirds of the displaced populations are trapped within their own national borders, uh, trying but not getting accepted by the asylum countries, like we were talking about the processes and everything taking time. What kind of treaty will uh, UNHCR need to bring with the governments and is UNHCR effective in this effect? Well, uh, the IDPs or the internally displaced persons, right, uh, as we understand, they could be because of external factors. Uh, they are not being accepted by the other countries. Uh, we are aware that this whole process of screening, mm -hmm. identification, um, taking away people who do not deserve to be brought in, right? The whole process can take years. In fact, um, I, I read somewhere that the, you know, the process adopted by the US uh, for bringing in people from the Middle East takes nearly 36 months. Now, firstly, for those 36 months, you are in your own country, internally mm -hmm. dis displaced. Two, then we have, uh, even other countries, we have a large number of internally displaced people. Uh, India is an example, right? The people who were pushed out of their homes in Jammu and Kashmir, mm -hmm. right? In fact, they have been living in uh, these settlement camps, some of them for nearly 20 years. Yeah. Right. While... Uh, from jugis to tents, they may have gone into some better accommodation, uh, right? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that they are also internally displaced. The third, yeah. cate third category is that those who crossed over to another country, right? But they are, 
they've been pushed back. Yeah. So once they get back here, they, they, they now become entirely displaced. Right. Correct. So now, but the problem here lies in the fact that if they are internally displaced, in the first place, what was that crisis which made them want to get out from there? Mm. Is that crisis over and are they allowed to settle down? Mm. Two, are they acceptable in that country? Right. So, uh, and those particular countries, uh, maybe the, the fear of prosecution still exists. So there's still nowhere to go, right? And uh, let's say, for example, if you were to take the Rohingyas uh, and try and push them back to Myanmar, it's not going to happen uh, that easy. Yeah? Supreme Court or no, anybody can say whatever they want. Yeah. It's not going to happen that simply. <laughs> now to get the support of by the UNHCR of those countries, which they are internally displaced, one, they were displa displaced because of the condition. Two, they are displaced because of the economic issues or because mm. of the climate effect or mm. because mm -hmm. of uh, natural uh, disasters that take place. Mm -hmm. Now, those who are from the, those kind of things, economic and thing, with the support and coordination with the uh, international agencies, they perhaps may be absorbed back into the society. They may be uh, given home. They may be given... Uh, absorbed back into the healthcare system. What are their concerns after all? Education, healthcare, mm -hmm. and and shelter, right? And jobs, right? Absolutely. So, to a to a large to some extent, this would be overcome. But in in the case of countries where they've been displaced because of uh, internal dimensions, I'm afraid it's not going to happen in that simple a manner. Right? Correct. And the governments. Uh, from the national security, now stepping into national security point of view, uh, extrapolating your point, uh, the government's saying that if not the humanitarian reasons to, you know, absorb them, but for practical reasons, because they have to accept the refugees, if they don't, ISIS or someone else will get them out, right? right. So it's, 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 it's a dual-sided sword. Sir, uh, now... Trump has always been criticized for his rhetoric of radicalized individuals entering as asylum seekers. Uh, however, this has been true and backed up by the data like the uh, Cato Institute uh, observes that 88% of post 9-11 terrorist plots uncovered or incidences reported were uh, with involvement of refugees. And the cases have come up where they have started sleeper cells for terrorist organizations. Here, the governments, uh, you know, the mechanism faces a dilemma between national security interests and providing amnesty and humanitarian aid. What kind of governance mechanism will it take to steer clear of certain dangers? Uh, I'm not too sure of uh, what Cato has to say on this. Right. In fact, uh, Cato's statistics have not really stood the test of time. Uh, studies which have been carried out in the United States after 2017 have shown that the involvement of refugees in any kind of ter terrorist act has been minuscule. I, 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 if I'm not uh, mistaken, the figure given was one in uh, 9.5 billion right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, of an involvement. 
in fact wherever you are able to absorb the uh, refugees into the mainstream Mm-hmm. They, look, uh, they're individuals can be there. You can take these kind of figures, one is to 9.5, one is to 13.5. This this will happen anywhere, right? So mm-hmm. they, like you mentioned some time back, if I don't treat these guys well, ISIS will take care of them. Right? Mm-hmm. But if I have handled them well, which a lot of the uh, intelligence agencies, the CIA, the FBI, they have actually made great use of the uh, the refugees correct so globally the asylum giving nations are successful in combating and minimizing the ra- radicalization by humanitarian aids as a resettled settled population because they also help in a way one to be grateful right and do their part by turning into government informants so keeping a check internally uh, and running anti-radicalization campaigns internally, and basically the cultural assimilation uh, assimilation programs, right? So, yeah, that that's one point of view. Yeah, uh, there are two more points I'd like to make on this. One, one sure. is that uh, moment <coughs> we get out of this uh, phobia that every person of X community is a terrorist. Mm, mm-hmm. right? A thought process which has gradually stepped into and seeped in and it's gradually seeping in even in our country. Uh, if you start off with that kind of a thought process, mm-hmm. then I'm afraid that you will find that you will become, these people will become easy prey to the terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Right? That is one point. Secondly, uh, you would find that there are a lot of people. After all, a lot of these refugees have been created in an environment by the push and uh, the involvement of some of the bigger powers, Mm. right? Whether it's Europe or it's the United States, a lot of external factors, right? Uh, What happened in Syria, the Iraq, Afghanistan, right? Mm. There are external factors. And a lot of these people who are now seeking asylum are those guys who are working for these uh, bigger countries in supporting them. Mm-hmm. So they were the first to look uh, to run for the planes, to mm-hmm. get into the planes, to get out of that environment. So this is bound to happen. Now, as far as uh, the system is concerned, it's the firstly the biggest uh, thing is this: sh- unless you get out of the politics of it. Mm-hmm. Unless you make the common man understand that uh, these people, everybody's not bad. Everybody's not a national security threat. Yeah. Right. There are people who come innocent. Delhi was famous for getting all their uh, pista badam and uh, pomegranates and from Afghanistan. Of course. Right. Right. Now, today, when that person is thrown into your lap, he suddenly doesn't become a threat to you. Hmm. Uh, if you so, it's it's a game. It, it it's a game of marginal threat perception. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, and we should look at uh, for that. There are there is enough people within your country who are part of the sleeper cells, who've been sawed in. They 
nobody even declared that they were coming in. <laughs> so if 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 I have to indulge in this kind of thing, I don't have to declare uh, that I have to, uh, that I'm going to come in here now. Put me, give me a rubber stamp, and I'm going to now work against you. Mm. This it can happen, but a very rare thing which can happen. Right? Mm -hmm. The most of them are concerned about their families, their children. Like you said, thirty percent are children. Fifty uh, percent, yeah, yeah. Sorry, fifty percent are children, and they, uh, the women, you know, they are, they they've come looking for homes. I I would rather live with my family. Somebody would rather live with me. Okay, mm. they will be indoctrinated people who will who can create problems. But then that there are systems in place in every country, mm. including ours, which will take care of that, right? Mm -hmm. And there will be mishaps which will happen. There will be tragedies which will take place, with or without refugees. Correct. So let's not forget the humanitarian thing and uh, national security should be a concern. Yes, the government of that country should have the right to take a decision, mm -hmm. right? Till you take that decision, you still take care of them, which we all do, mm. right? And let me tell you that uh, no country in the world can prevent this. When it comes as a mass exodus, you can't prevent it. When individuals want to creep in, they will beat the systems, Correct. right? So we need to strengthen our security system. We need to have um, systems in place which will take care of that. So looking at the entire refugee scenario, now we'll talk about the, like we were talking about uh, this sometime back. So threat perception, uh, let's get into a bit into details. Sir, can you throw some light on what can be the uh, risk assessment protocol? Now I'm getting a bit technical. So what can be the uh, risk assessment protocol by the joint efforts of, uh, say, intelligence agencies, uh, military, border security force, or refugee asylum control agencies of nations to effectively allocate security resources for this uh, by the means of said governance? Okay, so... Uh... We, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll specifically talk about India, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, as you know, we, we have very porous borders. Uh, we have, uh, whether it be the Western borders, the Northern borders, the East, in the East, we, we have countries where uh, for ages we've had people being uh, pumped in, not only as refugees, but also um, whenever, wherever we had militancy in the Northeast, there were enough people who were coming across. Mm -hmm. So you had systems in place. So you mm -hmm. had intelligence, proper coordinated intelligence. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to uh, the Western borders, we are able to pinpoint as to where the terrorist camps are. Mm -hmm. We are able to pinpoint uh, where um, movement takes place from. Right? Mm -hmm. But it's just that the vastness of the system sometimes prevents you think. After all, every inch can't be closed, right? Uh, we, we, we've had no incidents of people crossing over in, in those in Rajasthan or in Punjab today because we have systems in place. Mm -hmm. then, and like I said, intelligence, all in the intelligence agencies work per 
purposefully in commonality, not only within the country, but with outside agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is why, now let's get back to the refugee management aspect of it. Mm. This is why there is everything becomes a close knit persuade of the international community, right? Correct. <clears throat> so if I maybe may not have the information, mm -hmm. there'll be another agency which will be able to give me information. Like, okay, look, these are the refugee camps. In fact, today you are uh, most a lot of times able to anticipate that three months from now, six months from now, one year from now, there is going to be a situation. Correct. There, there is going to be an exodus, right? Taliban taking over in Afghanistan, right? Everybody, every, I'm sure even a school student could predict it, right? Correct. Whether it would have taken three months as it took or whether it would have taken a year, it was yeah. bound to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, we are also aware that should that situation happen, there will be exodus of so the country is immediately bordering them, mm -hmm. right? Were able to put their systems in place. Right? So also for India. So basically, even India adopted the SNRA, the Strategic National Risk Assessment, uh, as a scientific method to gauge what are the threats and hazards. Yes. And that is how our, uh, you know, the... Uh, the evacuation processes and everything were uh, very uh, deliberately and very, uh, you know, methodically carried out for, you know, again, threats that pose the greater risks for national security itself. So, see, uh, I, I'll just switch over to the Rohingya. Right? Yeah. Uh, you, we all know their background, their, uh, their stateless people, the government of Myanmar for centuries is not accepted them. Right. Mm -hmm. They say these guys are Bangladeshi. Those guys say, no, we, we have our roots in uh, the Arab uh, domain. Just, in fact, uh, a, a number of people of this lot were not only uh, Muslim, but they're also Hindus. Right. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, our common border with the Shin province. Mm. The people of Mizoram have an ethnic. Um, affiliate with the Chin population, right? Correct. So if that, there are bound to be spillovers. They are bound to have people, in spite of every security agencies, there will be people who will cross over because yeah. of the support that they'll get from the ethnic local population. Right? Correct. Correct. So the Nagas, the Kukis, <laughs> the Chins, this, this is happening for quite some time. It's been yeah. happening for quite some time. It's a natural phenomenon. Yeah. Right. Um, there are people we take take POK, right? Mm -hmm. There are families which live here, their families live on the other side. Tomorrow, if all of them decided that they're going to cross over, when, yeah. and uh, if you, we remember a big procession took place in Uri many, many years back, right? Yeah, uh, mm, so you can't thereafter say, okay, okay, now today morning I'll put the entire BSF here, or I'll put the uh, what do you call a SAM rifles, or I'll put the army there and make sure that not one man is going to cross over. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work this way, and it's never going to work. Uh, 
uh, we 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 don't want to be part of any genocide taking place on those areas. Exactly. But, exactly. But the security apparatus, uh, there are systems in place. The security apparatus is able to identify. They are able to make out what is going to happen. That is the first thing. Do mm-hmm. that. This exodus is going to take start happening. We are able to predict that, and thereafter, they are being monitored at every stage. Mm-hmm. Right? These systems are not in the public domain for obvious reasons. Right? Correct. Correct. But but the systems exist. Yes, and when you say it's a system, it's a mechanism, but it is not. very technical and it's not supposed to be that way because empathy is a very crucial factor or a facet of it because if see the national security mechanism should have this understanding that the correlation between the terrorists and the refugees is that terrorists create refugees right <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay um terrorists Thing. In fact, one of the concerns of India at the time of uh, not signing the 1951 convention was this only that the people who are actually creating these refugees are not being held accountable, and obviously mm. they were talking about the big powers, right? So, um, but that's the way the system works. But let me tell you, over the years, with the technology having uh, become a major thing. um everything is uh, in place it's being monitored it's not loose numbers all over the place mm-hmm. the fact that uh, 7000 rohingyas are lodged in a camp in jammu right mm-hmm. it's not that 7000 loose people were spread out all over the country and descended into jammu obviously they it's like a, a systematic way in which they were mm-hmm. kept there right today it may may start may have started causing concern but the fact of ma- matter is that they are under supervision they are under sick and mm-hmm. uh, so national security has our national security system is well absorbed it understands where things are going uh, likely to go wrong and mm-hmm. we do take preemptive actions so sir as as you mentioned sometime back with the rohingyas pillover uh, in the indian borders also the afghan refugees that we've accepted uh, what steps that we've been discussing have been taken by indian government and the military jointly and is there a combined mechanism that has been put in place for the entered individuals and their employment affiliations and subsequent activities and uh, engagements and to monitor all these things uh for, let's talk about the afghans first right okay uh firstly india's association with afghanistan india's uh, commitment to afghanistan is well known mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um our own uh, interests have been openly talked about and we have accepted that there are interests there right mm-hmm. so the population of afghanistan not from today but for ages in fact a, a very unique 
bonding exists between the people of india and those of afghanistan you got to mm-hmm. go down again to uh, i keep quoting delhi because i it's easier to have a look go down to lajpat nagar in delhi and you'll see the way the afghans are have been integrated mm-hmm. in the system mm-hmm. right a lot of them are still asylum seekers right mm-hmm. uh, the, that's the first category they're not yet become refugees right mm-hmm. uh, so the system has accepted that there are more refugees as if situation de- deteriorates further if they face uh, hardships a lot of them are, who wants to leave his home and come absolutely yeah right. whether it is taliban in par or it's they, even the hindus and sikhs till they were specifically targeted did not leave um, uh, afghanistan mm-hmm. present crisis some of them have left we uh, some of them are still there right mm-hmm. okay gradually over the years it's deteriorated uh, the numbers have written, decrease uh, but they are bound to come now here we, the government has accepted that they are going to come so that's the first point so therefore the security agencies and the intelligence agencies agencies have their charter very well fixed to monitor and most of these refugees have either been coming from uh, crossing or cross from pakistan mm-hmm. or through proper flights land uh, and uh, sea routes uh, uh, as entries right mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. not something which is hidden right mm-hmm. so the military per se uh, is not directly involved in all these things mm-hmm. okay? they mm-hmm. may have a certain segment of the border um, which uh, in the northern areas which you are supposed to look after mm-hmm. but they do not have a indication now these the government of india has tied up very well with the unhcr that the identification process which is a mandatory requirement to be able to identify uh, understand their concerns uh, are fully in place mm-hmm. right now as far as the rohingyas are concerned uh, there is still that phobia which exists everybody knows that they are homeless people we we have cases in supreme court 21st april 2001 judgment uh, of the supreme court that deport them back because of national security thing mm. is already under challenge right mm. mm-hmm. because the government of india also accepts that while we don't want them here mm. but supreme court also said mm. that they are to be deported provided all conditions are met okay I, i may not remember the exact wording but it is generally this is what is said right now all conditions being met a deported person can only be deported to the country where they are being deported is going to accept them mm-hmm. right so for the time being they are going to be there correct right so they are gradually after all they won't they there the first concern of our, of the of the government will also be they must be given food mm-hmm. they came they must be given water they must be given food and essential healthcare correct so basically the rationing and uh, bringing them into a general data is important and once that is done we know the numbers we know 
uh, how the governance is to follow with these individuals, what areas and everything, and then it is easy to monitor. Yeah, but, but the one thing that is of concern in the Indian environment is mm -hmm. that uh, fair enough, for reasons we did not become signatories or did not ratify these UN convention and the 67 protocol. Mm -hmm. But what is important is that within the country, mm -hmm. this business of central government versus state governments, politics versus religion mm -hmm. has to be looked at in greater detail. And therefore, there's a very important necessity of having a domestic law, hmm. which ensures that everybody, whether it is the custom guy at the airport, or whether it is the man at the border, mm -hmm. the guy who's monitoring the sea, mm -hmm. the coast guard or anybody for that matter, the uh, state government officials work on mm -hmm. one plan. Also, yep. maybe a general, uh, a, a, a general information or a general uh, sensitization to the general public, the general citizens is also that, okay, these are the kind of people coming in. These are the situations. These are the scenarios. This is what an empathy guides them. But also, if you come across a certain segment of people, maybe according, you know, the way they dress or maybe some facial features and something of that sort. And if there are some concerns that come to your uh, notice, then this is the next protocol as a general citizen. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, see, we have this, uh, we, uh, today we uh, sort of uh, put everybody in the same uh, bag and say Foreigners Act, Passport Act. These are the ones applicable to us. But mm -hmm. we have to differentiate because yeah. not only for, for two reasons, one. Huh? One is this uh, asylum seekers, migrants, right? E equally important is the internally displaced people. Now, we've been through this um, pandemic, the corona uh, era. Mm -hmm. The mass exodus of people who left their places of work to get back to their villages, right? Because we did not have a proper act in place mm -hmm. as to how are they going to be monitored, how are their um, wives and children going to be looked after, is this a controlled exodus going to take place. It could, it, you know, let me tell you, if the government had not pulled up its socks at that stage, and if mm -hmm. the NGOs and I would say a lot of the corporates had not got involved into it. Absolutely. Uh, you can understand the dimension that it could have taken yep right it it could have taken a very nasty turn mm -hmm. so therefore there is a, there is absolutely no doubt there has to be rules and regulations now government of india says deport x people right from manipur mm -hmm. the chief minister manipur says oh my dead body mm -hmm. the uh, mizoram government says i'm not going to deport anyone yeah because the, because these are ambiguous. There is an ambiguity. Correct, and then, and then amongst this amb these ambiguities, like you said, there there is a cultural overspill from the border, and then you face 
issues like how they are facing at, uh, like you said, Manipur. So uh, they are facing at, uh, say, something like More border or uh, Kudantabi, yeah. right? So, yeah, so, yeah, correct. See, uh, uh, one of the ways uh, is, uh, say, the government of Bangladesh. Huh? They are the country which is, I, what have they termed, is the biggest refugee camps in the world, right? And uh, now they have, while they are making all attempts to convince the government of uh, Myanmar, mm -hmm. in any case, their relations are never too healthy on the mm -hmm. economic uh, side. But uh, they have taken this business seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the new? They've shifted a whole lot of them to this uh, island about uh, in the Bay of Bengal. Whole lot of these people have been shifted out from the mainland, from Cox's Bazar, and sent on to this uh, Basun. Uh, or some place, the name there. I'm fighting the name, <laughs> right? So that's now become an organized thing. I think we need to. We know that they're going to come. <laughs> okay. One of the methods of preparation is that you make sure that the arrangements are in place. If a country like India can house ninety thousand prisoners of war, yep. um, after the nineteen seventy one war, and state-of-the-art PW camps, and I've had the privilege of visiting some of them, uh, where all facilities were put into place. Hmm. Yet, there was a, a system to the whole thing. Similarly, yeah. it by the time we deport all these guys, let's say uh, Supreme Court still insists, no, send them back. Government of India says, no, we're going to send them back. You know what? Put these uh, whole lot into some truck and say, okay, leave them at the border and go away. You know, um, incidentally, I remember that uh, a lot of these Bangladeshi refugees, um, illegal immigrants, would come to work in fields in Punjab mm -hmm. when, when the crop season was there. And uh, when caught, they, they would be pushed across the border to mm -hmm. the other side mm -hmm. and the next thing that used to happen they would be pushed back this side so this was a game that used to continue we would not accept them they would not accept them mm -hmm. and what's happening to the poor guy right. yeah so, so we let's look at it in a more uh, humanitarian and a practical i would uh, more than humanitarian i can even say in a more practical manner by the so, time so for a last note yeah. Uh, how do we balance this humanitarian versus national security? How, how do you sum up this thing? Yeah. Okay. My, my take on this is this. The, the people are here. Mm -hmm. Stay, that's the status. If they are here, we, the first, the humanitarian thing comes, they need food, water. Then starts all the paperwork, all these things, mm -hmm. trying to establish who is clean and who is not. Right. That process itself, like I said, is time consuming. Everything mm -hmm. takes time. Even mm -hmm. the, though we have uh, taking the support of the UNHCR for this purpose, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is it, it, it gets prolonged over years. A lot of them don't have documents. It's not easy to say, okay, so I'm so-and-so, here's my passport. Huh? Correct. 
people have left their homes with just one pair of clothes perhaps or not even that right so what so, documents so what documents is going to produce yeah. so what are, what are, what verification are we talking about the verification will take time now if they are going to take time then we must have a system in place that all right they will be brought here they will be given their uh, we, uh, we don't want these guys to spread a pandemic in our country right uh, so they have to be looked after so healthcare has to be provided food has to be provided uske baad dekhenge ki now now you don't we don't have to get too much involved today mm-hmm. the uh, electronic media will give you even means for educating the children right correct so why deprive the children of education you correct. don't have to start a school right but they are there in karnataka i think there are about 20 schools which uh, are there for the sri lankan uh, thing even mm-hmm. for uh, rohingyas the schools have come up right? mm. so uh, these things will happen national security yes most important you cannot afford to let down your guard correct and for that constant monitoring there will be people i mean from these agencies which are responsible uh, the security agencies mm-hmm. would form part of the camp they're part of the system they they you can uh, a well trained man can make out that this chap can create mischief or he can't Mischief. Correct, and there is a certain handshake between the state and the central mechanism. Yes, both from the uh, security perspective also, and from the governance perspective also. So, sir, we cannot talk about uh, national security without talking about human security. That is why we don't face uh, choice in our values and national security. Our values as Indians. uh you know are the drivers of our uh, security and uh, these two things actually go hand in hand and we can't lose that uh, if we lose that we lose everything so uh, thank you so much uh, general malik sir uh, for being on diplomacy direct and uh, uh, giving your valuable time thank you it, i think the uh, i was able to view my share my views like i said in the beginning it's it, this is a subject of great concern to me uh, uh-huh. uh, i i would say i'm a beginner in the subject with such a vast uh, thing and uh, i i am doing some more study on it i'm uh, looking at doing more serious study on it maybe mm-hmm. uh, some formal uh, reading also but the uh, fact of the matter is that this is a concern for everyone so you this know, is a uh, over it it this is an ever growing matter and nobody can be a real pandit on this at any given day yeah right so thank you very much for giving me the opportunity and a pleasure to interact with you um i'm sure there are more issues that we could uh, discuss um, more things of uh, concern both to you me and the common man right absolutely uh, so thank you very much Thank you so thank you so much Jai Hind Jai Hind